Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days. You can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and it is a generous, abundant, gorgeous treat to be here today with Sean Corn. Sean, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good, and I'm happy to see you. You're you're I'm you're in Australia right now, right? Yeah, way, way, way down under. We're here in Melbourne, so in in uh, in Australia, down south, it's it's cold. It's getting warmer, but yeah, we're here. We're about to yeah. you at the moment. <laughs> so I can take a look at you and see you for real and see your environment. All the better to see you. <laughs> and uh, just navigating fires and all the the craziness in the United States right now. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot going on here, but I and my family, we are doing well. I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, it's it's pretty interesting, like just the the shape that the world is in at the moment. Like I know in Australia, we recently had fires, it seems like just earlier this year. And then to see that just almost translated reciprocally over in, in the east coast of east coast of America, there seems to be, you know, there's, yeah, it just seems to be, um, sorry, the west coast, I think it is, of America. It just seems to be this kind of dance between the two 
Um, I know there are some weather phenomenons like the El Nino, the El Nino, that we like kind of share these weather patterns, but the fires are a bit ridiculous um, and they're having some serious impact on a lot of people. Um, I coach a lot of people from that part of the world as well. And just hearing just what their day-to-day living is like, like there's, it's like everyone's fine, but it's like the fear is like this real thing, you know? It's a real thing for sure. I mean, when you, when you live in California, it's part of the deal is there's, there's earthquakes, there's fires, there's things that you're, you, you think you're prepared for until it actually happens. And then it gets real, real fast, mm. but it's something that we actually have to think about like, what's, what's the most important thing in the house to save? <laughs> we have to move back. And, Priorities. Yeah. And it's like, this is where some of our conversations are. Um, mm. But I thought about the people in, in Australia, especially the animals when I, you know, the kangaroos. Uh, and the-, the koalas, man. We like, yeah, I think they're on the brink of extinction because of some of the stuff that happened. Um, there were so many real heroes in Australia that were going around and trying to save the animals. And there were so much images coming out into the United States of people like putting their own lives at risk mm. and babies and um, burning koalas out of out of the out of the bush Mm. and broke my heart and at the same time so grateful because hopefully that can mean in time in generations a resurgence of koalas um, for your country Mm. Um, you know for anyone who's listening who's gone through it I just really am wishing you all the best and I'm hoping for for safety for your family and for your community, but also for all of us throughout this world to recognize what's happening with climate change and to become very cognizant of being uh, that the way in which we have lived upon this planet for so many years has to change. Otherwise fires and so many of the other uh, natural um, challenges that we've been experiencing are gonna continue to elevate. So just sending my love to anyone who's listening, who's been going through it. Thank you so much for that, Sean. And I think there are some things that are really blistering to the surface at the moment. I'm going to dive in with that. But just for the benefit of the listener, just before we get started, it seems like we're already into it and I can't wait. I knew this conversation was just going to be heartfelt, warm and just very natural, flowy from the outset. Just, yeah, if you haven't tuned into Sean, <laughs> you're going to love this. So let me introduce her quickly. She's an internationally acclaimed yoga teacher and public speaker. And she is known, if you're not as you've been dialing in for a social activism. In a word, if I had to pin her to a word, which I would hate to do, but if I have to, it's passion, right? She embodies the passion for what she teaches, genuinely expressing her raw, honest, inspired self. For me, it's just therapeutic just to receive this raw, honest, inspired self that she shares with us. She's been teaching for over 25 years. She's featured on over 40 magazine covers and countless media outlets. And she chose to use her platforms and position to bring awareness to global issues, including social justice, social, uh, sex trafficking, HIV, AIDS awareness, generational poverty, and animal rights. In 2005, she was named yoga, National Yoga Ambassador for Youth AIDS. And in 2013, received both the Global Green International Environment Leadership Award and the Humanitarian Award by the Smithsonian Institute. Since 2007, she's been training leaders of activism through her co-founded organization. I love this. It's off the mat and into the world, right? So Sean also co-founded the Global Sever Challenge, which has raised over $3.5 million by activating communities of yoga and wellness in funds and awareness raising efforts. 
And her book, Revolution of the Soul, was published last year. We're going to be diving deep into some of that because that really informed my research on the background of this podcast. For me, Sean represents embodiment in a truly inspirational sense, right? Not surprising as she's a yogi. The causes she stands for and the inner conviction and awareness with which she stands, right? This inspires my personal evolution. She reminds me that being our true self is actually the greatest impact we can ever have. So, Sean, it is such a pleasure to have you here, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I do. <laughs> it's um, the book you've written, Revolution of the Soul. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> I, I, I usually start with this question at the end of every podcast, and I'd like to sort of chop suey and I think free flow into a little bit. What does inspired evolution mean to you? Inspired evolution is the work that we do on ourselves to continually mature this, to mature our soul and to awaken to the grace that's within, but within the world. And so the idea of inspired evolution is, is recognizing that each and every moment, no matter how light or how shadowed, is an opportunity for that growth. And so the shift of perception has to happen within. So there's not a single moment that's not um, inspired. And there's not a single experience that isn't fodder for growth. And that growth is the evolution within that can shift this world towards peace. So that's what that means for me. Thank you so much for sharing that because there's this real dialogue that I've had with myself for a long time about inspired evolution and like what evolution means and working on ourselves and potentially the impact that that has in the world. And I can't tell you how much of a blessing it was to receive your book and to read your description of, okay, evolution and then revolution. So can you describe what revolution means to you for us? Revolution is the work that we do so that we can move this world towards a, um, a globe that is free and fair and safe and just and equal and peace-filled and loving for all beings everywhere. It's the acts, the conscious acts that we make in our lives each and every day that end oppression and end the suffering of others so that we can truly live in unity um, that's what revolution means to me. It's those little acts that create a, a groundswell of inside out change that impacts both the individual as well as the collective. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it's, I think we like inherently for my journey with the inspired evolution, I've been aware that working on myself in it, like internally kind of has this frequency of like inner self-realization as I continue to unpack some of the shadows, some of the light, some of the stuff, express myself to my best ability. I trust that that will help support, you know, the, the outer evolution of the world, but I never really had the language of that's the revolution. That's actually the collective awakening. That's like the, the revolution that's underfoot. And when I started reading your book, I am in awe of the way you've written your book as well. Um, and I'm really excited for the course that you're putting out because for what comes up for me is like, I'm not really sure how you managed to build the principles of yoga, right? Into your life. Like obviously they were reflected in your life story, but as you were reflecting like parables from your life story, 
like there was a very continuous narrative, but then the, like the lessons about a yogi and all the different ways that we interact with yoga and ourselves and the oneness was built bit by bit by bit on top of itself. And I was like, whoa, I have to listen to this book multiple times to actually take home the lessons because it's, it's very like it teaches a lot, just, and it, but it's still storytelling very gracefully through your life story. It was really amazingly put together. Thank you. Thank you. I worked really hard on it. You know, I mean, when I had been resisting writing a book for years, I knew I had to. I knew inevitably it was going to happen and that I was going to have to show up to this moment. People had been saying to me for years, you know, Sean, write a book. And I would say, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. But a part of me knew I wasn't going to because I had a lot of limiting beliefs around what that would mean. I didn't feel um, it's one thing to be an extemporaneous speaker, to show up in a class. There's an instantaneous um, exchange of energy that can really stimulate your creative juices. And the thing about live experiences is that I can say something in one sentence and completely contradict myself in three, three sentences later. But because it's an embodied experience, people are feeling what I'm saying rather than literally hearing every word. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that I can hear myself and be like, eh, they know what I mean. <laughs> That there's, I don't have to really commit to, to crossing every T and dotting every I because there's forgiveness in that creative uh, exchange. Writing a book is not like that. It has to be organized. And I got really intimidated by the process of it. And all these limiting beliefs came up that I wasn't smart enough, that people were going to find out I was a fraud. Things that like, it's, I haven't felt or thought that way since I first became a yoga teacher. So I thought like, okay, I got to dive back into this process just to see what's there. Whether or not a book comes out of this, I've got to walk into that limiting belief because there's a tendril of that belief that's still influencing how I show up in the world. And so I didn't know what the book was going to look like or how it was going to unfold. Mm. And every single day, I don't think there was a day in the three and a half years that went on that, um, that went by that I was writing this book where I would get to, an, to a point where I would think, I just don't know what to do next. I don't know the next action. I don't know the next word. I don't know how to shape this chapter. I don't know why this chapter is here. There, every day I'd be like, and that's it, I'm done. And yet with a lot of tears and perseverance and mentorship and a lot of community support, I pushed through those limiting beliefs and found a way to organize the writing in a way that it was like, how do I explain it? It was like two parts of myself. Like when I opened up my computer to write my book. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. After procrastinating for, you know, a long time, I took a breath, I meditated, I prayed to God, and I started to type. And the first thing that came out was, my name is Cece. And when I typed that, I stopped right away and kind of gasped because, first of all, my name is Sean, but that wasn't the name that I was raised with. Sean is my birth name, but it's not what my family and my friends called me. My family and friends called me Cece. So it's a childhood name and it's not a name I really associate with myself anymore, except my family still call me that, but you know, I, I, I've moved on from that name many, many years ago. So when I wrote my name is Cece, I remember thinking, fuck, I think I know what's going to have to happen. Hmm. I don't get to write this book from the perspective of Sean because to write the book from the perspective of Sean, I'm going to talk about myself in third person, which is always weird. But Sean has experience and mentorship and teachers and years of, of schooling and training behind me. Um, I've had therapy and uh, sobriety and all sorts of things that have supported the 54 years on this planet. But Cece didn't have any of that. She was young, had issues with drug and alcohol, had issues with obsessive compulsive disorders, had severe anxiety, had childhood sexual trauma. And I thought, oh, my God. I don't get to hide behind the identity of Sean as my adult self because there's protection and distance that I can explain to the reader what happened and what's going on. But that doesn't mean that the reader is going to feel it or identify with it. The only way the reader can drop into these stories and these teachings if I'm there with them in present time. Mm. So I started writing the narratives. And at first I wrote them in past tense because a lot of the book is dealing with trauma and I wasn't really ready to enter into that in my full body. So I wrote it in past tense so that I was slightly distant. And then at the end of each chapter, I would stop and think, well, what, what was I learning? And that's when I stepped into Sean. I actually like, it was like an archetype. Like I pulled me on like a costume and I let this part of my imagination come forward as the teacher and said, well, this was what was going on. And this is ahimsa. And these are the yamas and the niyamas. And these are the koshas. And here's how it all connects. And so that's why I wrote the book the way that I did with two different personalities, if you will. And so the narratives are more direct and uh, very raw, honest. I use whatever language is coming to me. I try not to be overtly spiritual because I wasn't then. I was in the discovery. Mm. And then in the second part of each chapter, I then get to look at the experience through the lens, through, through kinder eyes mm. and through 2020 hindsight and the ability to say to the reader, here's what was actually happening. Here's what I couldn't have known then. Here's what was unfolding right in front of me. But it would take me 20 years to see the, 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 the magic in the teaching that was right in front of my face. 
So my hope was that the readers would identify themselves in these stories mm. and would recognize that there's tools that not just yoga, there are many different tools that I explore in the book that people can utilize to help them to get real and raw and honest and accountable with their own story. And that I model what that looks like and the interesting arc one goes through as one's soul evolves and that it's a never ending process. Hmm. You know, the book doesn't close with me like getting it. Ends with the lessons getting shorter and shorter, meaning the rate in which I get it. Instead of three years before I have like, oh, the aha moment, it's maybe three weeks or three hours. Mm. But because I now have tools that can support me on this path, I can actually grab that wisdom and use it to go into some deeper reconciliation. So that was my journey in the writing of the book. So I'm really, I'm glad you appreciate it. Oh. Um, it was a challenging process. Yeah, thank you so much for reflecting that. And it makes a lot of sense as to how it's so accessible because when you're writing from CC's perspective, it is super relatable. And I like what you're sharing in terms of, yeah, then you can come back with the Sean suit back on and go, hey, <laughs> this is like the connection between the two. And it must have been a really therapeutic process for yourself just tuning into it. And um, again, just to hear like a high, like I can't, it'd be, it's worth remarking, I guess, for me, which is this, this, this oneness that you're experiencing between that CC-ness and that Sean-ness and bringing that together as one. And again, the intention behind yoga and that unity is, um, is ever present. Can I ask you, Sean, what would have your life been like without two things, A, community and B, yoga? I, I often imagine that, um, it could have gone in a different, a bunch of different kinds of directions. Um, my, when I got into yoga, you know, I was very young. I was 18. I was really lucky, but I was also in the throes of, I was living in New York city on my own. Um, so I was working, doing drugs, alcohol. I worked in a lot of different nightclubs. Um, I had a, a wonderful social life and was very exploratory. But I was witnessing a lot of my friends getting caught up in addiction. And I was so fortunate that my teachers at that time lovingly coaxed me into a practice that allowed me to make the choice to become sober, not by necessity, but because I, it just didn't work with the lifestyle that I was moving towards. I don't know if it was an, if, it, if another year had gone by with my drug use, if, if I could have made a choice like that as effortlessly, as effortlessly as I did. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if addiction uh, would have been a pathway. I don't know if I would have moved back to New Jersey. Um, gotten married, had kids, you know, I don't know. There's so many ways a life could go, but I do look back and see that there were a lot of angels that were conspiring in very ordinary forms to support me on my path, um, including the bosses that I had at work, including just ordinary folks that I met at that time. When I look back now, there People was you were serving in the bar, like 
Yeah. David and Sharon, I, you know, the fact that I worked at Life Cafe for David Life and Sharon Gannon, who went on to open Jiva Mukti Yoga, the fact that Eddie Stern was the delivery boy at this, uh, at this cafe, um, who went on to open the, the Ashtanga Shala. Um, there are Dana Trixie Flynn was a customer. Like there's Vinnie Marino worked down the street. Like there was just so much going on at that time that I look back and I just feel that I was just really fortunate. I was plopped into an environment that could, it could have gone either way. I straddled the, the precipice of moving into something that proved for me to be light, um, but it could have easily gone in a different direction. So I don't know what would have happened. I like to think that I'm resilient and I come from a really supportive background that no matter what I would have done, I would have been okay. Um, Sans drugs, drugs and alcohol, of course. But I, I don't think it's in my personality to have ever really floundered or flailed for long. Um, mm. Because to your point, community. Um, I'm, I'm introverted by nature, uh, it, which is odd because it, it, you wouldn't think that in my personality. Mm. Um, I know how to be extroverted and I love community, but my soul doesn't get fed in environments where there's a lot of people. Um, it actually ultimately depletes my energy. My soul gets fed in isolation. So I know how to do isolation very, very well. But community has been the thing that has forced me outside of myself, that has provided spaciousness for communication, for relationship, for ideas and creativity. I don't know I don't know if my life would have thrived the way that it has because community is the thing that has brought out my creativity. Mm. It is the thing that has allowed me to find the confidence to speak truth to power and to use um, my platform in a way that I hope engages and uplifts others. It's only been through community that I have felt, it's like I feel uh, surrounded, uplifted, um, guided. And it's because of that support, I believe that my life, both personally and professionally, has thrived. So that's the answer to the second part of that question. My community is, is everything to me. Um, and at the same time, I have to take space from it to make sure that I stay recharged. Mm, I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the quotes that that lands really deeply with me is, I can't remember who said it, but it was the conversation. I think it was like a llama or some, or some degree. And it was, how important is uh, community to spiritual awakening? And the response he gave always gets me. Uh, and he goes, it's not at all important. It's everything. And I was just like, oh man, <laughs> like that really, really, really strikes a chord. Even just seeing the mirrors that people hold up for us. And like you said, just angels in disguise everywhere. And that leads to one of the, the currents that is present in the book, which, you know, it's, I think some of us uh, acknowledge this to some degree and others are completely at the other end of the spectrum and don't believe in this in any way. But um, this conversation around, it is actually all holy. Like all of it is holy, right? God is everywhere. Even when you're, pardon me, in the bathroom doing your thing, you know, it is actually everywhere. Try turning it off for me, would you please? Um, that 
undercurrent in the in the book is and the way you describe it and just how every moment has an opportunity for learning for growth um, is really remarkable but I also know that wasn't always the case in your awareness is that is that safe to say it's still not always the case in my awareness I mean I fight with this every day I believe this to my core Hmm. I believe Every moment, every experience, the light and the shadow is infused with grace, that there isn't a single experience that can't open you to the depths of your love, no matter how tragic, no matter how painful. And I explore a lot of it in my book. I wouldn't be where I am in the world if it hadn't been for some of the trauma that I experienced in my youth. Now, do I wish it didn't happen? Of course, but it did. And I can't change what is, but I can change my perception to what it what is in a way that empowers my growth that uplifts me that builds my capacity for empathy um for compassion but it's not um effortless i mean i struggle with it here in the united states we're dealing with an with an administration that's incredibly oppressive we're dealing with a human being who's uses rhetoric that is designed to be harmful to create more suffering that separation that exhibits so much of the opposite of what yoga is. I have a hard time uh, being compassionate and empathetic towards our president or towards the president here in the United States and towards this administration. Um, and yet at the same time, very aware of the hypocrisy that I experience within myself. So I have to really look within to try to, it doesn't let Donald Trump off the hook. He is who he is. And mm. is there an opportunity within this experience that is calling all of us up to look at what it is that's internalized within both in the individual and within the collective? What's been excavated from the bowels of our culture is, and again, I this comes from a white person's perspective because for a BIPOC person, anyone on the margin, they're like, you know, welcome to the party. This has been very evident to those oppressed. But for a lot of us, especially within the dominant culture, what's being excavated is racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ageism, ableism, bias, prejudice. Um, it, it's always been there, but now it's so present and it's forcing someone like myself to look in and say, where do I participate in the very oppression that I suggest I want changed? Where am I complicit to this white supremacy in my own words and actions? And the thing is, you can't change anything until you can see it. And what Donald Trump and this administration is doing is it is holding that mirror up and it is forcing us to see the shadow within the collective and to make proactive change around it. So I hold both. I have a true dislike for this human being, for the personality of this human being and the way in which this person show, this personality shows up because of the suffering that they cause. And I have to hold a certain amount of grace for their soul, recognizing that what has been exposed can, if we all do our own work, shift this nation and perhaps our planet towards peace. It's a big if, hmm. but, but it's there. But it's not going to happen just by us pointing our fingers towards our administration and be like, you need to change. 
It's actually turning those fingers back towards ourselves and recognizing where do we embody that shadow and what needs to be transformed individually? What do we need to dismantle in here so that we can dismantle the systems of oppression out there? So, um, so it's not a philosophy that I, uh, that I don't still struggle with. I work mm. with it. If I, if I didn't struggle with it, I'd be enlightened. Um, cause that's an enlightened perspective perspective. I believe it and I practice it and I struggle with it. Like everyone else who's listening to this will. Mm. And I think that, yeah, thank you so much with the clarity with which you expose that because yeah, we often feel that, uh, there is more that we should do, but we often discount that, ah, uh, you know, everybody else is not doing it. So why do I need to do it? And I think there is this real, this is that call between evolution and revolution that I hear. And, and in what I'm hearing you share as well, um, you know, there's this, in this conversation around, I knew this was going to come up and I was <laughs> nervous to go here because this is a real deep topic. The, the importance of facing our privilege. You talk about this in our book, uh, in our book. <laughs> wow, I've really integrated into my own now, <laughs> into your book. Pardon me. Um, I've, uh, the importance of facing our privilege is something that you you really like. You mention it, obviously, um, but for me, it really it really struck something up. Um, and this this conversation around holding ourselves accountable to our privilege, and you mentioned all these biases. You know, where where am I potentially racist? Where am I potentially biased? Where am I potentially you know, like looking at someone that's you know not able bodied and being like there is a judgment that is evoked within me. You know, and the the raw honesty within which you present yourself holds space for the reader, myself, to kind of look in and go oh, wow, how could I ever escape some of these, you know, like part of, and then the conversation that you so lovingly bring in is like this, this intergenerational perspective that we have, like, you know, when, you know, for me, you know, this conversation around spirituality and it's like how, you know, I often believe that there is a spiritual resolution to a, you know, 3D dimensional problem. And it's just like, yeah, but you're also Indian. So obviously you look at things this way, you know, consistently. And it's like, and just because that seems intuitive for you doesn't mean that people want to answer questions that way, you know, all the time. And so just like the little micro things like that in which it shows up all the time, our biases. Can you tell us a little bit about just, you know, the importance of facing our privilege and what it means to you to hold yourself, hold yourself accountable to your privilege? I think that's. You know, I thought about it. I, you know, I would be so conscious in a yoga class when I would say things like we are one and I would look around the room and it was mostly a sea of white bodies, um, able bodies um, with a certain socioeconomic privilege to be able to forward classes, you know, and I would think to myself, like, yes, we're one, but we're not the same. And until we really understand those differences, saying we are one bypasses the true suffering that exists in the world, especially to folks on the margins. And I realized that because of the color of my skin, that I was simply born into a construct of whiteness. Being white isn't bad, but the construct of whiteness is problematic. And I was born into that construct and that I need to be aware that no matter how good I may think I am or well-intended, that there are privileges that I get that I didn't earn, that I was just born into, that allow me freedom 
and safety in a world that is not free or safe for most. And so it's easy for me to say we're all one. And I, I, again, I couldn't help but think as a yoga practitioner that I had to unpack this. Um, I would say things like our liberation is bound. But if that was true, what do I have to give up in order to create more equity for others? And do I want to give those things up? The answer was no, actually, I don't. You know, I, I don't want to have to give these things up. So then am I the problem? So it be, became a part of my of the nor, of the of my spiritual path, having to look at some of these things and the way in which, and I explore it in my book, that just these moments in time would happen that would again reveal some of the belief systems that were inherent to me based on my culture. But in the same way, you're saying like your culture has informed you to think and see the world in a very specific way. My ancestry, my culture, my religion, my education has all also influenced me on a cellular level. Hmm. So when you look at someone like me who is white, there is no way that I can't be racist or homophobic or transphobic or whatever it is. I can't not be. And the reason why is if you believe in the mind-body experience, that everything we think, feel, or experience has an effect on our cellular tissue, that we inherit belief systems passed down for generations, especially if it hasn't been reconciled. Coming from a white dominant culture, racism was normalized in my community. It may not have been overt, but it was always there towards black and brown people. You, you always got a sense of um, the rhetoric that existed in the schools, in, in our own homes. It didn't take this body five minutes, one week, 10 years to become racist or homophobic. It, it was, again, lifetimes. Mm, Therefore, it's not five minutes to become, to undo any of that. So my commitment was just to normalize these conversations, was to try to allow people space to recognize that this is a part of the, the spiritual process. This is our karma. This is the shadow. And if I can identify my racism in my body, then maybe when it shows up, and it will show up when I'm overwhelmed, when I'm tired, when I'm in a situation that's scary. In that moment, my nervous system will deregulate and I will time travel to an old belief. That might be my grandmother's belief. But in that moment of fear, I may do or say something that can create incredible harm for someone else. Mm. And so I need to know that when that moment comes up, that I ground, breathe, regulate, then make a choice. Um, but don't be reactive to it because that reactivity might not come from a present time experience. It might feel real, but odds are it's steeped in an old belief that hasn't yet been um, excavated, um, that has been internalized. And so I spent many years just because of the, my work with Off the Mat Into the World and the evolution, the growth of Off the Mat to include social justice and some of the mistakes that I made personally in my service work, I was forced to have to really look at what is my privilege and how even with good intentions, 
is my impact harmful? And how am I perpetuating even colonization um, and charity, um, which could be problematic? Um, and uh, all sorts of saviorism that, again, is just a part of the culture. It feels like I'm doing good, but actually you're just perpetuating the same behavior of dominance and oppression. So yoga really invited me into this inquiry and it continues to. And where we're at in the world right now, I feel that the work that I've done, especially the last probably 15 years, is the deepest, most painful, most humiliating yoga that I've ever done. And it has prepared me emotionally for this moment where there is serious racial terrorism is in my country, for sure, where there is um, a systemic desire to continue to oppress black and brown bodies throughout the whole of our cultures. And I feel slightly more positioned to be able to speak to this with a lot of humility, um, but to also invite others, especially other white folks, to be willing to do this work. Because like I said about Donald Trump, you can't change it until you can see it. So how can I suggest to the world, we need to end racism, unless I say, well, actually I need to dismantle the racism within myself because it's deep and it's as inherited as my curly hair and my blue eyes, no different. Yeah. Um, but I also can change it through bearing witness to it, breathing deep and making a new choice. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sean. And I think it's, it's remarkable the clarity with which in this conversation right now, the word reconciliation is associated with the word yoga. It makes so much sense when I'm in this conversation right here, right now in this present moment with you. And I really just want to take a moment just to honor you for the work that, you know, you continue to do and on yourself to just have us in this position where it was like the like reconciliation yoga, like, you know, it makes so much sense. Oneness and reconciliation and reconciliation, not just, you know, like making amends in the world of the revolution that we want to see outside, but also in the evolution within, you know, this reconciliation from the inside all the way through to all the way out. And inviting us to have a look at, you know, where it's tough to have these reconciliation uh, conversations within yourself, where you can't yogify, I'm going to make that up as a word, where you can't unite um, these things within you, you know, it's hard to yogify these things without the world. And potentially, I often remark on this is, you know, sometimes I wonder if, you know, the Donald Trumps even exist, you know, it's just like, is this just me in a mental asylum facing a white wall, banging my head, just, you know, looking at things that are revealed from my inner world and just going, wow, like, you know, things aren't working. And, you know, this blistering over here is just showing me that, you know, this is what needs attention and needs work. And perhaps the collective, you know, can reveal um, what's coming up for it in this external so that we can, but like you said, the opportunity is there for us to collectively step up and do this work. And I'm so inspired by your server. Um, one of the things that comes through for me is how then looking at our privileges does that, and you touched on this, like inform our service and inform the plat, like the way you use potentially because um, like you said, it can be very challenging, you know, and until you, and I imagine until you start stepping out and start, okay, I'm going to try and help people and you start helping people and then it's like, oh, but I'm, 
still locking in this power dynamic, but you don't realize until you go down the road of helping people. Um, obviously that let that not be an invitation to inaction. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you, you go down the path and you learn more and more and you mature down the path as you go. How does, how does that inform, how does your platform inform your service now? Well, I, I mean, I love what you just said though. Like it's so often in the spiritual community, we freeze and, you know, use spiritual bypass as a way of actually avoiding the discomfort, whether it's our own spiritual discomfort or the suffering that exists in the world. And uh, again, our privilege allows for that. I would rather, I've made some really um, hard uh, mistakes in my service over the years that I'm very honest about in the book. And, but I would commit to doing that again and again and again, because each time I was guided and educated and challenged to go deeper. And I just had to commit, even though I would be embarrassed, I would just commit like, no, this is the yoga. You can't know this. Um, don't be arrogant, take it in. In the book, I explore an experience in Uganda where I went to help and my help was rejected because it was really reflective of colonization, that I wasn't going there to, um, I, I didn't ask what the community needed. Um, I was just throwing money at a problem because the truth was I was uncomfortable. Based on my Western ideologies, what I was seeing was uncomfortable. And here, if I throw money at this problem, perhaps it can get fixed. And I, well, I was schooled in that at that time to understand why my help wasn't sustainable. And it took me a long time to really understand that. And yet once I did, it's, it's, it's one of the, the million aha moments one will have on the yoga mat, um, on and off the mat in life where you're like, that's what that means. And everything starts to come together. So for years in my service, I was physically out there. You know, I would get on planes. I would go to Uganda, South Africa, Haiti, India. I would focus on different issues, whether it was sex trafficking, sex trafficking, generational poverty, whatever it might be, and try to find ways to raise awareness, raise funds, um, work in relationship with these organizations. But as I started to learn more about social justice and about the construct of whiteness, even though we were raising so much money and we were doing great work, we had to make the decision to stop the program because what we were doing was, was um, uh, not reconciling, was, um, was very representative of behaviors of dominance, of colonization, even missionary work. And so we stopped a successful program, the Global Save Up program. And I kept thinking, what do we need? What then is probably the greatest service that we can do, people of privilege, people with access to resources? And so I, for myself, I started doing what I would call learning and listening tours, but alone, I wasn't bringing people. I went, like, for example, went to Israel and then went into um, the West Bank, to Palestine and, and met with nationalists and progressives, different leadership on both sides and just asked questions. And as an American Jew, you know, went there 
and note, what do I feel? What am I experiencing? What are they saying? Where's the similarities? Where's the difference? Where's the trauma? And then I went into other countries. And then I realized, wait a second, why am I going to other countries? Why aren't I focusing on the genocide here in the United States, where there is the, some of the biggest trauma and oppression? Like, go there, learn about your own history. And after that, I realized that's what I need to do for other folks is to provide opportunities to learn and to listen, to step back from our thinking that our experience of American history, because we've been told it's the correct history, that that's actually sincere, that we actually need to listen to the leaders who have been most impacted, meaning indigenous folks, folks of color, um, Let's meet the historians and the educators and the artists and the spiritualists and let, let's hear what the real American history is. And I started to do trips around the country and, and also around the world, went into Cuba, for example, to do this, um, to really lean back, not raise money for organizations, but to re-educate ourselves. And I think that right now, that is the best thing that I can do with the privilege that I have and the platform um, that, I, that I have and the student body that I serve is to provide people with a real education, tools for integration to be able to deal with, the, with what comes up emotionally, the guilt, the shame, the fear, um, how to teach people how to stand in the presence of difference mm -hmm. um, without judging it. Um, yet simultaneously sensitizing ourselves to our trauma plus um, other trauma that may be passed down ancestrally to people um, who have lived, have had a different lived experience than we have. That's really where my interest is right now. And that's where yoga has taken me. Um, and so we've been doing a lot of work called Race in America, taking people into Alabama and helping people to reframe their understanding about um, from slave from enslavement to civil rights movement to the progressive movements of the day to understanding white supremacy, neo-Nazism, um, radicalization, and seeing its connection to yoga. That you you have to know about this. You have to feel it and see your part in it in order to change it. So that's how I think that folks of privilege right now is perhaps get re-educated so that we can show up in our service with more humility. Thank you so much for sharing that. And one of the things that's underpinning some of that conversation for me is you're tapping into the conversations of other people's pain. Mm -hmm. um, and you're having a look at what's really happening rather than just the, the, the glamorous bits of everybody's lives. Um, and when I... <laughs> again, in love with the book, uh, we go from evolution to revolution. There's this conversation that you have where we step through the evolution of the soul, doing our own work into the revolution of the souls, doing the work with the outer world and the kind of the, the middle ground to like kind of bridge between the two is where you find that your pain 
actually is your purpose. And for me, it was just like, oh man, like, cause on the inspired evolution, I find myself saying this again and again, it's like everybody I've interviewed legitimately, almost everybody I've interviewed, like their biggest challenge forms their biggest gift is the languaging that I use around it. Right. And for me, it's no surprise. Like I struggled with depression for six years, became a meditation teacher, really struggled with the corporate grind and like giving up the power of one individual into a system that is not necessarily gives two shits about them. And sometimes it seems, and then trying to help people align to their purpose and what is their calling. And so it was like, wow, like obviously, you know, biggest challenge, biggest gift. And then, but the the conversation and the way you framed it was really great because it's like, that's your inner work. And the minute you start excavating your pain and once you've done some sort of reconciliatory work on it, you realize, okay, cool. Like there are others walking around with this and you're not completely whole, but it becomes an obligation that you, whether you like it or not, you can't turn it off. And it's like, Hey, meditation healed my depression, meditation healed my depression. And to the point where some people stub their toe, it's like, Hey, meditate. And it was like, no, no, calm down. <laughs> you know, like I've been there too. <laughs> And I'm, I'm aware that what you're sharing in this conversation about learning from others and really humbling yourself to be able to go there um, externally to hold space, to just even listen to other people's pain. Sometimes, you know, we can be afraid and especially sometimes in, in a yoga community, it's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that because I'll take that on. And it's, you know, it's too deep. And it's just like, it remarks to me the the amount of work that potentially goes into reconciling our own stuff to be able to hold space to even listen to some of other people's work. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you really get on the healing path, it's no mistake. You will magnetize uh, to yourself students or friends or lovers that will really reflect back to you your greatest light and your deepest shadow. And that's just a part of the journey. And the more that you can love your own journey, the shadows and all, the more you can stand in the presence of another soul and bear witness in awe of the shadow and light that dwells within them and not expect it to be any different than what it is. And that all of us have embodied trauma, that we're all trying to work it out, that we all have unconscious patternings that determine our thoughts. And that when I'm in the presence of someone else, my fear, their fear, my shame, their shame, it's just bouncing off of each other and it influences the way in which we perceive each other. So if I can get really comfortable with my own humanity, then when someone else's shows up, instead of like feeling angry or misunderstood or um, uh, reactive, it might allow me to look at that person even in their struggle and know that God loves that person as much as God loves me, that they're doing the best they can with what little they may know based on the trauma that they've experienced and the lack of tools that have been available to them. And that if I'm reacting to them, then the onus is on me to have to continue doing my inner work on myself. Doesn't mean I have to hang out with them or date them, but it does mean that they become my teacher. And that they're showing me something within myself that isn't yet reconciled. And so it, it definitely doing the work, because the work is hard. It's so much easier, especially as a teacher, to tell someone else how to change. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in, in the practices that we do, we get given the gift of language. We get given great words where we can explain how we feel without actually having to feel anything. Mm-hmm. And so the deepest work for me and again, it comes back to community and having teachers and mentorship is that I don't allow myself to rest into the uh, illusion of that language 
And instead, keep pushing towards my human humanity, keep exposing, keep being willing to be accountable. Um, never apologize for the, 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 the tender flailing of being a human being. Because if I don't give myself that grace, then I will never hold that loving space for someone else because their humanity will threaten or scare me. And so it, it's taken a long time to get there, but it really does take a lot to get me really triggered when I meet another person, except, you know, Donald Trump, of course, that's like my Achilles heel, but for, you know, day in and day out, because I do recognize that all souls walk this world with a deep and internalized trauma that I can't know about, especially mm. when it's cultural or ancestral, that, that information and patterning runs deep. Mm. And so when our traumas come together, it can be really problematic. So one of the two have to be willing and able just to stay in their bodies. And so it's the person with the skill of whether it's yoga or therapy or the program, but some, or meditation, some form of self-care that lets us stay integrated, present and honest is what can allow for uh, a more certain wholeness, both individually and collectively. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And the the conversation around wholeness is one that just personally, just to to have a chat with you about it, is is really present for me. Um, I've been sitting with this intention of acceptance, um, and it's recently started dropping in in a really big way. Um, and it actually started with a chat I had with a friend of yours, Marianne Williamson. Um, and there was this, a few things conspired in my life. Everything is teaching you, right? And um, what dropped in for me was this awareness that for a while I've been, I, I need some better languaging around this, but this is really all I've got. So I'm going to go with it is I've been somewhat phallic in my spirituality, if you will, um, which is just like focus on the light. You know, this is feels really good. And, you know, like that is what's holy and sanctified. And these things like, you know, these worldly things, they're a distraction from what is your spirituality. Um, and just stay focused on keep meditating on the name, meditating on the word, you know, and don't really like, you know, don't worry about the, 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 like the Maya, the illusion, if you will. And it's interesting because coming into this conversation around acceptance, it's, it's a complete paradigm shift. You know, for me, it's like, oh, actually my guilt is spiritual. Like my guilt is my teacher. Like it's a deity. Like it's literally a goddess. Like my, my guilt, my shame, you know, my, my, uh, my ambition, you know, all of these things are sitting there and they're like literally just waiting for me to go, Hey, have a look at me. And on the other side of me, if you can just accept what's here, there's like this whole other like freedom of peace. Like if you can just reconcile that within myself to accept, and it's been huge just to see a like how difficult it can be just to sit with things sometimes like it's like two north poles of a magnet kind of like trying to connect inside and it's just like whoa the repulsion is real um but this whole reframe around spirituality and it feels much more feminine if i'm honest with you this new like kind of conversation around uh spirituality with acceptance um and i do 
I always kind of, uh, this is a, one of the frames I've got in my head. You might enjoy this. I always see myself as a dead weight. Yeah. Like I see myself as like, if, ever, like if I'm doing it, everybody else must already be onto it. Right. And that kind of right. pulls me a little bit. Cause it's just like, sometimes I feel like if we if we feel like we're leading and then it's like, we got to drag everybody along and it's like, nah, 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 nah. If like, if I'm having it, surely everybody else is already there, you know? So like I see myself as the dead weight and that inspires me. Maybe it doesn't work for anyone else, but it really works for me. And yeah. so, I'm feeling like potentially that is like a collective shift that's going on at the moment as well. You know, like we're going from this, you know, like potentially not having these conversations around reconciliation to, you know, this conversation around acceptance and reconciling and allowing these things to really connect and be like, actually, if I can be with my shame and guilt, what happens to me on the other side of that? And I think I use that as a segue to get into one of the biggest takeaways I've been having recently based on that awareness of acceptance, which was affirmed by um, what I read in the, in your book, this Mona, she's incredible. Bless her cotton socks. <laughs> um, she says the true revolution of freedom begins when you answer the soul's call for peace. And one of the things I've been realizing, and this has just been guiding me on this journey of acceptance is my mind, my ego consistently thinks everything will fall into place and I'll be at peace, mm-hmm. right? But my soul knows that when I'm at peace, everything will fall into place. And that just as like a guiding mantra almost has just been really supporting me. And then when I read like just the whole journey that you've been through and then when it came through to the true revolution to freedom begins when you answer the soul's call to peace, this invitation to peace all the way from pain, all the way through to peace, you know, and finding your dance between the two and, and bringing yourself home to that. I guess the question that uh, that comes through to me is, you know, how do we access this state of grace in your opinion? You know, what does, you know, like, how do we, how do we work our way towards peace? Do the work and the work looks different on each soul. And I don't think it's something that happens in a singular lifetime. I believe that we are all on a path and each lifetime looks different for like when you talk about um, this awareness, like meditating and disconnecting from um, the suffering and just keeping your focus on, on the state of bliss, there's no part of my nervous system that understands that. Mm. Um, And it's not that what you're suggesting is wrong. It's just not my path my nervous system orients to what's here and now. To me, that is spiritual. It's actually meditating on the suffering. It's going towards the shadow. It's what awakens me. It's what brings me joy, these realizations. It's, it's, it's finding the relationship between the grotesque and the magnificent. And that is deeply my spiritual path, being both of this world and not of this world. I don't know if in the next lifetime, what I'm being given is going to be a very different uh, set of circumstances and access to guidance and information that's going to continue to inform and evolve me. I think what I'm good at is not thinking that where I'm at or where you're at should necessarily be other than what it is, Mm -hmm. that on the path what we need will be revealed when our nervous system is ready to reclaim it and that the path looks different for each 
being and that we need to create a lot of space for the myriad of teachings that are out there that will serve each soul on their journey. And so my journey looks a very, very specific way. And I think I don't question it. I say yes a lot to that intuitive knowing when I'm being called into something, even if it makes me uncomfortable, my mind will talk me out of it, but my body will say yes. And, and, and I know that that's true when my body says yes. And my mind says, fuck, then I know I'm onto something. I know that I'm, I'm about to resist something that is actually in truth. And everything I do kicking and screaming will orient me in that direction. But for someone else, it might look different depending on what their nervous system can contain. For some people, just getting still and quiet and being within their own consciousness is an introduction into their own nervous system mm -hmm. and into a reality that perhaps prior to this lifetime, they didn't have access to. And maybe that's what it looks like right now. Um, I, I just feel like there's, there's room for spirituality to meet people where they're at. The only thing that I like to push back and challenge people on is not to use the spiritual bypass, not to use the spiritual practice and language as a way to bypass the real suffering that's happening. Um, I, I cannot close my eyes and meditate and turn away when I know that children are suffering or that there is um, poverty or that there is inequity. Um, I know for myself that my spiritual practice demands me to move into relationship with that experience and that it's only my privilege that allows me the space to close my eyes to that suffering. Um, but I don't know if that reality is true for someone else. Um, I don't know where they're at on their path and what their path is going to awaken them to. I know that in some ways, I consider myself a very old soul. And in some ways, I'm a friggin' baby on this path, a baby. And that both are probably true. And so I let myself be in the inquiry and the curiosity and make mistakes and not think I should know better just because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. It doesn't mean anything. It's a, there's a magic that is happening a mystery that we are a part of that is unfolding in front of us, but we're only being gifted with a singular layer. And when we master that layer and peel back that veil, we're only going to find that there's another friggin' layer and another layer and another layer. And the gift that we're given is maturity and compassion for these complexities and wisdom. But I also hope it gives us sensitivity to really honor and um, support people where they're at, um, knowing that it's influenced by a lot of things that we can't know about. It's between each soul and the God of their own understanding. And that's how I would want people to honor and respect my path, um, that I'm in it, I'm in it deep and God's all over this um, and I will mess up but I'm all in. And however long it takes, I will make amends along the way, but, and I will pick myself up, but I will keep moving towards that expanded consciousness. 
knowing full well, by the way, that that expanded consciousness in which I seek, it's already here. Mm. And so it's like, I know it, yet I'm still going to go on the path and Mm. I'm going to seek it out, but I know it's here. Oh, Sean, thank you so much for sharing. Man, there is so many rabbit holes yet to be continually unexplored and to be explored, but I'm I'm conscious of everyone else's time tuning in today here as well. And I just, I, you know, there's, there's so much to take away from today's conversation alone. Um, the key, the key for me is even everything you just shared, um, brought, it was for me, someone that has been dancing around this path of acceptance for that much longer than I have. And everything I heard you say, um, just informed the conversation around acceptance for me in terms of accepting where everybody's at is also where they're perfect. And also where I'm at is also perfect, but you know, there's still the work that you've got to go on and go do. And, and yeah, I just, I don't even know where to, where to begin to thank you for your presence, your energy, your time, your effort today. And to be honest, like, you know, I think we're conscious here at the inspired evolution that, you know, the evolution within takes it's a lifetime's work. And like you said, maybe even a couple of lifetimes work. So just want to take a moment to acknowledge and thank you for doing the work on yourself and showing up so raw and so vulnerable. Um, and just so open and transparent, like just to, I know you potentially already know this, but it's, it's really sweet medicine to receive, you know, just to be able to, yeah, see yourself in another and the other be so open and so transparent and so raw and so vulnerable and ready to call out their own shit. And you're just like, whoa, oh yeah, that's all my stuff getting unloosed now. (laughs) I can see it too. And it's just like, wow, amazing. So just want to thank you. Thank you for your blessings for being here with us. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for having me and for letting us be in this conversation. It's so important right now, more than ever. And Mm. um, I'm glad that there is resources when you had spoken earlier about community right now, because of the isolation that's being imposed upon us throughout the whole of this world because of COVID, having opportunities like this online to really drop in and talk and connect, um, I think is going to be the thing that um, saves hearts, souls, and lives going forward. Um, We need this connection. Even if we can't physically reach out and grab each other, it's just the remembrance that we're not alone, that there are other people doing this work and that this moment in time is an essential one in our own development. But the more that we can stay connected and talk about things that are actually important, the more that we can heal ourselves and heal this world. So thank you for being willing to um, host opportunities like that, like this, so that we can connect and serve everyone who's listening. So thank you. It's an absolute blessing. This is, yeah, me learning to serve. And on that conversation around community, Sean, just before we part ways today, um, the you're creating a platform for people to connect with online, probably inspired by this time, um, based on, you know, like doing this work. Can you tell us a little bit more about it just before we go? Yeah, you know, when when COVID happened and everyone went into isolation and um, everyone, you know, I I had to stop traveling the way every other yoga teacher had to stop going into the studios and all of that. But I took a lot of time. I didn't rush back into teaching online. I took a pause only because I was feeling the anxiety within myself and a lot of the fears that were coming up, the loss, the grief, um, concern of family, friends, the future. 
And I thought, well, if I'm feeling it, others have to be feeling it. And I don't want to project onto the students. I want to be able to take this time to tend to some of these fears and concerns before I, uh, before I connect with students again in a, in a big way. And so while I went through this process, I stayed in deep relationship with my therapist, with my community, doing my yoga practice, reconnecting with some of my old asana teachers, and uh, looking at what is it that I need in order to stay, stay sustained. And finally, I decided that I wanted to create an online opportunity. It's called Revolution Within. And it is, it's essentially a space for transformational work. So it will include live classes with me, um, but it'll also include once a month, a deep processing call. Some of the work of Mona that I learned that you read about in the book, I'll be doing some of that. Not, not a lot, not the hardcore, you know, rinsing. I can't do any of that, but really like challenging people to look at their shadow and to own what's happening right now. And to just to feel it, um, not to suppress the emotions. And each week I'll be giving classes that ground, that energize that speak to the mind-body connection, to trauma, the way we internalize it. There'll be a lot of prayer, a lot of reflection and inquiry. There'll be meditation classes and restorative classes and uh, a, a Facebook page where people can go and connect and build community. But it's to really help people to process this moment so that they don't miss this opportunity for growth and an honest space to say, like, I'm fucking scared to death or I'm really overwhelmed, or um, I'm, I'm in compare and despair without being judged. Just saying, okay, name it, name the shadow. Let's, let's do this, let's unpack it. Mm. So that people can discharge that energy and replace it with something that's more regulating and centering. And so this is the way I wanna support people going forward, not just regular asana classes, which have value, but I think the best service that I can do right now is to take people into an emotional transformational process. And that's what Revolution Within will be. I love that. A safe place, a real safe place. I really appreciate that. So, yeah, we'll put the links to um, Revolution Within in the show notes so you guys can grab that and, uh, and make your way over there and, and access this safe place. Um, I know a lot's been coming up, even for myself. And, you know, a safe place with tools is what this sounds like. And it's just a real blessing. Um, just knowing how many you've helped, Sean, and just to the widespread availability of us being able to access these resources in this time just continuously blows me away. You know, the internet, <laughs> if it's not a messiah, I still kind of look at it a little bit as like it is sort of one. I'm like, in the isolation of our homes, we have access to such incredible, incredible things, not least like conversations like this. So thank you again. Truly, truly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and, and bless you and, and to everyone who's listening, stay well, stay safe and, and healthy and happy. And I look forward to doing part two of this rabbit hole at some point and uh, just seeing where your journey is at and all the ways in which this moment in time has informed you in your life and in your teachings. So thank you. Thank you for your blessing. Yoo! Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. 
And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.